views and opinions expressed by callers, guests, and hosts do not necessarily reflect those of the Black Talk Radio Network and Black Talk Media Project. Black Talk Radio is new black media for the new millennium. Let your wise rise up, see the signs of the times if it's time rise up, rise up. When death and hell dwell among all God's people, when those we chose and trusted have become completely corrupted and inherently evil, when the feast that feeds you starves our father's children, when snuff porn and pedo forms begin to get top billing, rise up. When famine claims millions, when justice... Peace and welcome to New Abolitionist Radio, a program that seeks to educate, inform, and agitate on the issue of 21st century slavery. Hosted by social activist and spoken word poet Max Parkers with New Abolitionist and Actionist Johanna Nalaya and Black Talk Media Project founder Scotty Reed. On this program, we discuss recent news on legalized 21st century slavery and human trafficking along with projects and people who help combat it. Today is September 7th. 2016. It's now two days before the IWW Incarcerated Workers Organizing Committee's National Prison Work Strike occurring on September 9, 2016, which is scheduled on the date of the Attica Prison Slavery Uprising of 1971. That is pretty much our entire program today. Never before has such an event of this magnitude occurred in U.S. history and possibly in the world. The closest you will find are full-blown slave uprisings or the exodus from Egypt. You won't hear about it on the news, and that is on purpose. But right here on New Abolitionist Radio, you will find out everything you need to know tonight. Our rider of the 21st Century Underground Railroad is Lawrence William Lee of Georgia, who spent more than 27 years in prison, more than 20 on death row, for a triple murder during a home robbery. On June 8, 2015, the Wayne County, Georgia Superior Court granted the prosecution's motion to dismiss all charges. Our abolitionist in profile this week is an entire town and will be provided by Scotty Reed. Expect all of that and more tonight on New Abolitionist Radio. If you'd like to share a comment or question, call in and join us at 1-641-715-3660. The access code is 549-032-POUND. If we have anyone from the IWW committee, please, uh, we'd like to get an update from you and get the opportunity to get more exposure for this upcoming event here tonight on New Abolitionist Radio. So please call us in. Again, the number is 1641-715-3660. Access code is 549-032-POUND. Once again, I'm Max Parthas. What's happening, Brother Scotty? Hey, Johanna, what is it? Um, no, I don't see Johanna on the board um, yet, so he could still be, you know, trying to make it in from his job. Um, but also, um, yeah, make sure that y'all hit star six and one anytime you would like to uh, comment on air. All right, so um, I'm doing okay, Max. How are you today? Um, I'm doing, I'm doing, <laughs> I'm here, I'm fighting. And uh, really at this point, that's all that matters. Right. Tomorrow what what, what about, what about your daughter, man? Uh, is she 
doing okay or how's things No, she's, she's not doing okay. As a matter of fact, tomorrow we're going to Greenville. Uh, she goes into the hospital for a week for some intense treatments, and uh, we'll be going tomorrow to check in on her, do what we can, which is not a lot at this point. All right. Sorry to hear that. Sorry, sorry to hear that, man. But I, I know I had, you know, I'm concerned about you. You family. You know what I'm saying? We all family. So I just want to get a, uh, um, um update on that situation. Indeed. Thank you, Scotty. And thank you to everybody else who's listeners who's been on the you know, uh, prayer warriors trying to help alleviate some of these problems and praying for her well-being. Thank you very much. Uh, it is making a difference, I think. And I tell you, Scotty, if something happened to my baby girl, man, the world better watch out because I am not playing no more. Well, I'm looking um, forward to see this strike take place as we had talked offline. This is stuff we talked about for years. And we've suggested, you know, if you are enslaved on a prison plantation, they making you work for slave wages, don't participate. What what else can they? They already got you enslaved. What else can they do to you? So I'm happy well, to hear that um, there yeah. is going to be a nationwide strike. It's actually gone international. Uh, earlier today, there was information put out where across the globe there are people supporting this now. Yeah. Well, when I say strike, I mean in terms of the prisons uh, that'll be on the uh, enslaved persons in these prisons that will be going on strike. But yeah, I'm well aware the abolitionist movement is international. Indeed, brother, indeed. You know, what I would like to do is uh, today, since we're, you know, focusing on this, we should also focus on how it came to be. And, you know, back in 2012, we were putting this information out and bringing light to it. And we specifically, I know I did, specifically ask that unions get in this fight against uh, modern-day slavery. And we've had several guests who represented different union organizations that have come on the show and have agreed with us fully and went forth and made some differences, like the teachers union out in, I believe it was Brooklyn, who decided to divest from private prison stocks that were in their 401ks and retirement plans, you know? Yeah. And that makes a difference. Yeah. um, Not only the teachers unions in in that area, but uh, the student-led campus universities. There's a number of universities that have um, pushed the teachers to divest, you know, their 401ks and their pensions from these private prison stocks. And again, man, as long as we've been putting out this information, I find I would find it hard to believe, man, that the work that we have put in has not manifested. I believe we are seeing these fruits as a result of, you know, not just us. I'm not that full of myself well I'm not full of myself period but you know I'm not that ignorant to think that it was only those you me and Johanna because we are you know we've made so many connections with people all over the world who have you know lent a hand or in their areas been the leaders at the forefront of of this fight And, and so you know we have seen some teachers unions divest from private prisons we have seen universities divest from private prisons and let's not forget the great news from last week with the private prisons losing up to 50 percent of their stock price and yeah they recovered a little bit but they only recovered about 30 percent and then it keeps fluctuating from there going up and down going up and down and now they're also finding 
of themselves facing lawsuits by their own investors. So we got them fighting each other. You know, as a lifelong member of the spoken word community, I firmly believe in speaking things into existence. And if you're speaking the truth, the truth will spread. And we've watched this happen over the years. You know, we've been hitting it. What do we say, Scotty? Death by a thousand cuts. The right. very first show, that was the plan, right? Just keep hitting, keep hitting consistently, and we would get to the point where we are today, which is not the end by any means, but the beginning of the end. Right. And I, I wouldn't mind sharing with the audience here a couple of videos, very short videos. I believe one is three minutes and the other is a little under four, uh, which we put out in 2012, which brought these things more exposure so you can understand exactly what you're dealing with because these two videos tell you today just as clearly as they told you when we put them out in 2012 so um either one if whenever you want to uh give it a shot is our new abolitionist radio uh the one is in regard from rt.com and the other from fox news with ravis shakatai remember ravis shakatai yes yes i do yes i do uh let me go ahead and run the one from rt all right While the rest of the U.S. may be struggling for work, there's currently a real boom of job offers for inmates in the country. But state and some of the biggest private companies are now enjoying the fruits of a cheap and readily available workforce with tens of millions of dollars spent by private prisons to keep their jails full. Artis Gaynard Chikan takes up the story. In the U.S., the market for cheap labor is booming, behind bars. In the last 15 years, partnership between prisons and private manufacturers has increased significantly. They're becoming America's very own Chinese-style manufacturing line behind prison walls. Prisons, in fact, advertise themselves as such, as an alternative to outsourcing cheap labor to China or elsewhere. On the web, we came across this pitch that prisons prepared to persuade private sector companies to come and do business with them. Take a look. There's not enough uh, folks that will do this type of work in this country. So therefore, we're bringing, bringing back this industry that has starkly has been going out of this country, and we're putting it you know, inside the walls. And Matt, Matt, I have to stop it there, man. <laughs> Lord have mercy. I was just thinking about this the other day, Max, is that, it, and I hadn't seen this video until, until now, but... This is what we always hear, like with the agricultural work. Oh, this is work that Americans don't want to do, so that's why we need these immigrants to come from other countries. And I'm not anti-immigration by any means because many of these people end up in private prisons and doing the agricultural work for free. So anyway, I mean, just I'm like, wow, this is work that, that uh, Americans won't do. So that's why we got to go into the prisons. And isn't this better than outsourcing to other countries? Man, these people are so despicable. But I, I'm sorry, I had to stop it there. Indeed. And, you know, I want people to hear the commercial, that live part that you cut off at. Just back up a little bit. I want them to hear this is a legitimate commercial uh, from the prison industry speaking about what they want to do. 
And this woman speaking, her name is Joan Lobdale. Joan Lobdale. Because I believe in naming the slavers, man, you know? Yes. That will do this type of work in this country. So therefore, we're bringing, bringing back this industry that has starkly has been going out of this country, and we're putting it you know, inside the walls. And it's, it's absolutely a, a perfect idea. I have a workforce that does not have car problems or babysitting problems, etc. They're always here, and they're always willing to come to work. Bring your business to our labor. A wide variety of industries take advantage of prison labor. Among many other things, prisoners make clothing, textiles, electronics, furniture, and even solar panels. Just as we're trying to get China to stop uh, with their prison labor, ours is at the same time increasing. Hundreds of companies have used prison labor directly or through subcontractors, including Microsoft, Boeing, Starbucks, Victoria's Secret, and others. They qualify for federal tax breaks. Uh, they can get uh, recompensated up to 40% of the wages that they pay to these inmates. We as taxpayers, we have to house, feed, and provide medical care and, and everything for all of these inmates. We do this as taxpayers. It comes out of the, the tax pool. And that keeps the actual prison workforce healthy and in shape to go out and perform these jobs for these private companies. Hard working and reliable, inmates show up for work every day voluntarily. Work in prison is mandatory, and the choice many inmates have is whether to work for a government-run prison industry for less than a dollar an hour, or a private one for a minimum wage of around six dollars. Unicor is a government-owned corporation that uses prison labor to produce all kinds of goods, mainly for other government agencies. 175 different types of products and services. You see the variety listed on their website. They, too, partner up with private firms now. Last year, Unicor's revenue reached $900 million. As far as private prisons are concerned, two of the country's biggest prison corporations made $3.3 billion last year alone. Private prisons are traded on the New York Stock Exchange. They are for-profit companies. And the uh, savings that they reap from using inmate labor um, go to their bottom line. It's money they otherwise don't have to spend in order to keep a facility run. Large prison populations and harsh sentences result in greater profits. America's three major private prison companies spend around $45 million over the past 10 years on lobbying state and federal governments for supporting immigrant detention, mandatory minimum sentences, three strikes laws, and other legislative measures that contribute to the growth of America's gigantic prison population. The U.S. now holds more people behind bars than any other nation. More than two million. That's one quarter of all prisoners in the world. From a cost-effectiveness point of view, the $45 million that private prisons have reportedly spent over the past decade lobbying to keep prisons full is peanuts compared to the billions that they make every year. One can argue about the many causes and effects of America's skyrocketing incarceration rate. But since prisons became a for-profit industry in the U.S. 30 years ago, the number of prisoners has gone up dramatically. Not to say that it was the only cause behind the spike, but many argue it was part of it. And now with the cheap labor market expanding behind American bars, one is wondering whether the justice system in the U.S. is adopting market values. In Washington, I'm going to check in. All right, you can cut it there, Scotty. That's the end. The rest is just music. Well, that's one of the first videos that we put out uh, exposing this. And, you know, it was a hard job 
to get RT to recognize this because we pushed for that too, stage after stage after stage to get this out there into the public view. And here we are today. As you heard, she said she's got employees who have no uh, transportation problems, no babysitting problems, no days off, no rights, no hope, no money, no nothing. They're just forced to be there and do these jobs. You know, I mean, where else are going to get the money to buy their socks and toilet paper and things that they need just to survive? They will fight and die over 11 cents an hour in prisons. And again, um, the term slave wages, when people talk about income inequality and, you know, the low minimum wage and they talk about raising it to $15 an hour and they refer to, to the minimum wage as slave wages. No, those are not slave wages. What the enslaved victims on these prison plantations is getting paid is slave wages. Slave wages actually refers to wages that some enslaved Africans were being paid prior to 1865, like for blacksmithing work. A lot of the West Africans who were kidnapped and brought here were very skilled in, in, in metalworking and, and other artisan type, you know, skills. And to keep them happy, I guess, and to keep them from running away, I, they were paying them like pennies. The 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 and uh sharecropping too. Yeah, the enslaver would pay them, you know, a small portion of their profit. Over the years we have share abolitionists in profile who who like for example there was this one black woman she was a dressmaker and she sold dresses and she was able to keep some uh, a small amount of the profits but she saved up all that money and was able to purchase her freedom from the person enslaving her so slave wages is real it doesn't refer to what people getting paid at mcdonald's or or some other minimum wage job slave wages is what's being paid to people behind bars now right here here is the other thing here's the other thing just the other day when she was talking about the babysitting oh they don't have to worry about a babysitter and all this and that just yesterday i was reporting on the story about the woman I'm, i'm sorry i don't recall her name right now but y'all will remember the story of the woman who was homeless. The black woman was homeless, living in a van, and she was out still trying to find a job and what have you, and she would drop her son off at a babysitter. Now, she enrolled her son, because remember, school is mandatory or compensatory. If you don't have your child in school, they'll come after you um, if you're not homeschooling. And so she enrolled her son in the school, where the, in the district where the babysitter was. Again, she's homeless, living in the van. All right. So anyway, even though they knew she was homeless, they going to charge her with felony theft. Says she stole $15,000 worth of so-called free public school education for her six-year-old son. And this woman was sentenced to six years a slave. Six years a slave. They are destroying families. Destroying families. So there's a word for that, Scotty. It's called genocide. Man, and then the United States government. Now, I am certainly um, pleased 
that the Obama administration through the Department of Justice has announced that they will no longer renew these private prison contracts. But like you just heard in that video uh, um, clip we just played, what they ain't saying nothing about shutting down Unicor, is they? Are they? Are they talking about shutting down the private prison the federal government owns called Unicor that's contracting with, with these Fortune 500 companies so that they can take advantage of slave labor. Again, all of this is legal by the 13th Amendment. So, you know, yes, I'm happy that the DOJ says that it's going to stop its, its contracts with private prisons. Hell, that can change with the next CEO who gets in there. They could restart it back up. So I'm not, you know, I'm not a fool. But... Why aren't they mentioning Unicor? Why isn't the Obama administration shutting down Unicor? This is slavery, people. It, is, it isn't mass incarceration. This is slavery. And the only jobs that's going to be left pretty soon in this company is you as a, a, a plantation overseer, so-called prison guard. That's the only jobs it's going to be. Because they're going to enslave half the country and employ the other half as the enslavers, you know, the overseers. This country is, man, I tell you, and people want to talk about this, the best country on the face of the earth. What are you, where are you getting your information from? Because you certainly are not looking at the facts as I'm looking at them. A fellow abolitionist and contributor who shares stories to us and for us, uh, and there's also abolitionist Otis Griffin it has the same concerns and has addressed them to me regarding Unicor. And in, and in 2012, it was $900 million a year. This is 2016, and it's over a billion dollar a year industry, which we are very aware of. But at the same time, we also know that we can't fight all these fronts simultaneously as we, you know, as people want us to do. We have to start knocking down some of these dominoes. So we got the feds now. Next in line is immigration, and now they're talking about the immigration ending private prisons, which is a huge chunk out of their pocket, huge. And then after that, it's the states, and then after that, it's to get these uh, exception clauses taken out of state and federal constitution. So this is a fight that's going to go on for a little while more, at least before we get to the point where we can end it all, including Unicor. But Unicor has to be addressed. Nine hundred billion in. 2012. It has to be addressed. Not 900 million. Where is all this money coming from? Yeah, and where is it going? Now, this is a federally owned, USA Inc. owns Unicor. So that really, you could say the taxpayers own Unicor. Well, where is that 900 million a, a year going to? Well, as we have told people here before, Unicor was the replacement for convict leasing. Convict leasing allegedly ended in 1928 in Alabama after its huge cave-in killed nearly 150 black men and women and children who were enslaved for petty offenses inside these mines. So they ended uh, supposedly convict leasing at that point, which we know really wasn't true. But Unicorn came out not long after that in 1954 when they began, and they've been going on since, doing basically the same thing as convict leasing. Exactly. I mean, again, how are you going to say you abolishing slavery? You didn't fought a civil war, allegedly, to end slavery. But then as the winning side now, I'm talking about Lincoln in the North, but as the winning side, you're going to make a concession 
to these Confederate states that, oh, you're going to still get to practice slavery, except first you got to pass some laws and then target these formerly enslaved people with those laws, and then you can enslave them in the prisons. So every time they say that they do something, that we're going to stop doing this, they all, it always reconstitutes itself in another form. And slavery, in fact, was never abolished, and it is going stronger than ever. Uh, we do got a caller. Let me go ahead. Uh, this is Brother Dave from Tando Radio Show. Brother Dave, you got something to say, bro? Peace, Brother Man. Dave. Peace, peace. Brother, brother Max. Uh, my prayers and energy is to you and your family, Brother Scotty, uh, as always. You know, this, well, that commercial, if, if we continue to do what we're doing as a collective body of people, which is nothing, there's always a few that are doing all of the heavy lifting. And it's just like you said, Scotty and Max, this Slavery has never been abolished. It's been revolutionized for the age. And the new enslavement that they're going to come out with is definitely uh, fundamentally rooted in what, was, what you just heard in this commercial. When you heard this evil woman and you heard this, this demonic energy that this woman has because this is something that's going on globally. Venezuela is doing the exact same thing. Ecuador is now going to be doing this. Just like you just said, Scotty, what, what happened is that they, they, they were able to legislate enslaving people. Now they're going to use not only legislation, now they're going to use national emergency as a ways to enslave people even more. And mm -hmm. this is what we call an exaction. This is why the Civil Rights Act that the civil rights that we that we thought was all about uh, giving us some form of equality and having the 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 uh, overall standing of <clears throat> inequality to make it more equitable was all a, a, a charade. It was a lie because it's an exaction. This is where the government can do a willful wrong to you, and this is what we're seeing here. This is a illegal act, a willful wrong. Because until we understand as people, and let me just make this last point, until we understand as people, our energy is a resource. And you ask where are they getting this this money from, and I know that that was mean, where are they getting this cash from? They're not getting it from where anywhere that is moral. They're printing it and they're creating it digitally to steal people's energy. And they're going to continue to have this form of enslavement and it is only going to get worse and it's going to only be more broad and deeper. It's going to have our children to, to actually have to go to jail for what their parents weren't able to pay. Death won't even be an escape. So Yeah, that's why this, we believe that we have to solve it this generation. Yes, this generation. And I just wanted to make that point. I, I was more than, you know, certain things spur your anger, but it was tempered by commitment because what we're dealing with is genocide and what we're dealing with is a caste system like we've never seen before. And it's, upon, it's, really, it's really upon us to say no. 
No longer should we allow these people to write laws that they don't have to obey, to create debt that they don't have to pay, and to 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 declare a law that they don't have to, or to write a law that they they don't have to obey, because this is all going to be at our disadvantage, and it is going to make ensure that ways and means, that our way of life provides for their means of life. If you heard this lady, only thing that she was cared about was her means of life. By any, by any way, didn't matter. So, brothers, phenomenal. Um, just, I couldn't believe what I heard. I don't want to take up too much more time. Much love, much respect. Uh, Matthew, we're giving our, our energy out to you and your family, brother. Thank you so much. Much appreciated. You know, we're going to go into the other video. Q&AQ is cleared. Slavers. And how do people make money off this? You'd be shocked to hear who are the new slavers because the new slaver is you. The new slaver is the retired teacher whose money was invested in private prisons. The students who paid those loans to universities who were invested in private prisons. The new slaver is the retired senator who has money invested in the Vanguard Group, which has a jillion dollars invested in private prisons. You are the new slaver. It's your money that's making this happen. You are contributing to your own enslavement. And there's a young woman by the name of Raven Shakatai, who is the senior uh, VP vice president for RBC Wealth Management. And she breaks down exactly how slavery is real and legalized in the United States of America today. Again, from 2012. Yeah, before we. Yeah, I got it queued up. Um, Before we go to that, though, let me just say this. This is why when I hear, I heard some black people to say, what what is on your list to demand of the next CEO of USA Inc.? All right, and they and and what they were saying was criminal justice reform. Well, reform is what you got in 1865 at the conclusion of the Civil War when they changed chattel slavery into prison slavery when then turned it into convict leasing and I mean it just continues on and on they call every time they call themselves reforming something all they are doing is refining it they're not reforming it they're refining it and this is why Max I am with you brother when you say we don't want no reform we want abolition here is that video And it will start any second now. (laughs) Costs for correctional facilities, or in other words, prisons, quadrupling in the past 20 years to $52 billion in the U.S. With taxpayers on the hook for much of that, is there a way you can actually make crime pay? Our next guest says, you bet. Rava Shakatai is Senior Vice President at RBC Wealth Management, and she joins us now. Thanks for being with us, Rava. Thank you, Dennis. So let's just go broad picture first. The U.S. is the most prison-prone country in the world, right? Tell us about that. We have 2.3 million inmates in the state prison system, in the federal prison system, and in local jails. There is a difference between prison and jail. Yes, it's a one year, but it doesn't matter. It's not divert. Louisiana, one in eighty-six people. One in, in eighty-six, absolutely. Uh, if you look at the country as a whole, it's one in one hundred four. But if you look at both parolees and probation, in addition, it's one in thirty-three people who are in the state 
or federal prison system. Right, and California has seven times as many prisoners as Iran, the entire country does. Uh, yeah, absolutely. All right, so uh, there's clearly a... demand here. Now, most times when people think about trying to make money on prisons, they look at the publicly held prison, for-profit prison companies. You've got CXW and GEO. But you think those guys might be kind of played out. Why is that? Well, the growth of those types of companies really happened post-9-11 when the U.S. Marshal Service and ICE, which is uh, Immigration Custom Enforcement, got the contracts to um, detain immigrants. So 50% of all immigrant detainees are in the private prisons. They adopted the approach, if you build it, they will come. But there's a mismatch with the need. They have excess capacity, but it doesn't exactly fill the need of the public prison system. Okay, take, take the beds count. aren't where they need to be. So if we get rid of CXW and GEO, instead, you like a couple of actual California state prison bonds. Tell us about those. California operates just about the biggest prison system in the country. You have an occupancy rate of these prisons of 155%. There, the demand definitely outstrips the supply. So there's a, a segment of the fixed income market called lease revenue bonds. And this is a play on the municipal bond market. It's a more conservative approach to playing the prison market. A lease revenue bond that plays the prisons compared to a general obligation bond of the same maturity can yield 10 to 50 percent more. A prison bond more than a regular government bond from a local government? From a state government. Right. So from a, from a California GO perspective. I'm not talking about jail bonds. Those are highly speculative. And that's where you hear about the defaults in the prison market. I see. Now, uh, in addition to California, uh, are all state bonds kind of safe to look at for prison purposes? Do all state bonds pay higher than their regular general obligation bonds? There's a couple of states that you can really look to, like California, Texas, Florida, New York, and Michigan. These are the biggest issuers of the lease revenue bonds that fund correctional facilities. So for an income-hungry investor that's looking for relative value, I think there's a huge opportunity in these bonds that are absolutely underfollowed by the market. And they're tax-free as well, they're right? They're tax-free income, absolutely. Okay. And, it, and part of this plays into your theme. You know, your clients call you the grave dancer because you like to put money into things where the customer has little choice. You feel like cigarettes, people are addicted, gambling even has some addicts, and certainly in prison, the customers have no choice but to be customers, don't they? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's no other place to go. I think that the country will stop at nothing to protect public safety. So I think that the prison market's a great place to, to be. So why not profit from it? All right, thank you very much for being with us. Rave Shakatai. Appreciate it. Have a good week. The Black Talk Radio Network is made possible in part with help from the Black Talk Media Project a North Carolina-based nonprofit engaged in the production and distribution of independent digital black media. Find out more by going to blacktalkradionetwork.com or blacktalkmediaproject.org and look for the menu tab, Crowdfunding Black Media. Black Talk Media Project, helping to provide you with new black media for the new millennium. Tuned in to Black Talk Radio, new black media for the new millennium. Peace and welcome back to New Abolitionist Radio. You just heard from Fox Business News, Raven Shakatai explaining exactly, exactly how modern day slavery works. As the other video question 
is the prison industry adopting market values? Well, she answered that with an emphatic yes, they are. Speaking of human beings in terms of demand and supply, and saying things like the prisoners have no choice but to be customers, no choice but to be property, to be traded out in the open market in the form of prison stocks and jail bonds, which you, many of you listeners right now, have investments in. That's, you know, I was so disgusted. And I remember when we first ran this story on New Abolitionist Radio. And I'm like, where is a John Brown with a broadsword to put through a slaver's back when you need one? You know, um, it, it's just disgusting, man. And how they were, and then all in the name of public safety. Now, that was Fox Business News. For our conservative friends out there, I will remind you of what one of your conservative icons said. And they and Anne Rand, however you pronounce her name, Ian Rand or whatever. But what one thing I certainly agree with her 100% that she said, and she's dead now, but what she said was that the only power a government has is to crack down on criminals. And when there's not enough criminals, one makes them. And so what she, what you did not hear in that particular clip is how, how they lobby. Well, actually, these prison companies are part of ALEC, the American, uh, what is it, the American Legislative Exchange Commission set up by yes. the Koch brothers. And they write legislation to criminalize even more and more your behavior and then push that out to the state legislatures and it becomes law and they do the same thing on the federal level. So it's not that 2 million or 2.3 million people are really hardcore criminals who have violated, you know, somebody else's liberty, stole their property or took their life because 70 up to 70% or more of all prison slaves today are in there for non-violent victimless so-called drug crimes and then you got these people in prison while the DEA is making deals with drug cartels allowing them to smuggle these drugs and you tell me how's all of that heroin making it from Afghanistan where you got American troops guarding the poppy fields how's all of that heroin making it from Afghanistan into the United States they ain't walking it across the border how's it getting in here Anyway, we got uh, Brother Johanna joining us, uh, the co-host of New Abolitionist Radio. Welcome, Johanna. Brother Johanna, welcome home, bro. Peace. Peace, brothers. Peace. I've been listening in for a little while here. Heard uh, Brother Dave come on and uh, share his wisdom in. And, uh, of course, just leading into the program, Max, we don't talk as much. You load it down. I'm loaded down. But definitely, I'm, I'm in prayer for you, brother. I know it's... Uh, a heavy weight, man. We uh, we're preparing for this trip for you anyway. It'll be here in my hometown, but a trip for you here in the next couple of weeks to be out, and uh, it's just a lot going on. So just uh, just stay strong, man. Um, with regard to what uh, that's for sure. Right, right. With uh, regard to what uh, brother Dave said, though, it was a key thing there. With as far as when he was saying that about the uh, the. The nature of of how this thing works. I mean, they're printing fiat like fake money. It ain't even real. It's not even real. But <clears throat> what they're doing 
is, well, like he said, taking the energy off of these people, like literally the labor, the suffering, the, the, the hopes, and I mean, the political aspirations of all those people that go out and vote. I mean, all these things are, par are parasiting off of the energy. And that's something that uh, I mentioned on this program before, uh, as Dr. Amos Wilson uh, said, that white supremacy depends on black criminality for uh, for its currency. So that talks about currency in terms of cash or money or how you do merchant merchant exchange. Um, we know that Wall Street itself was created on as a slave market and stands to this day on slave grave sites. I mean, if any person disputes that, then clearly you've never visited, actually never visited Wall Street itself. You've never visited the, the stock exchange because they have a national monument there for those that observes those slave grave sites. So literally, to criminalize these people is what slavery began based on, was creating some kind of reason to say that these people deserved what they were getting. The same thing is with the genocide that happened to the native people that lived here and take over all the land, give them a treaty, war on them, break the treaty, kill them off. All of this type of thing was based on the criminalization of somebody else saying, look, we're good. We're honest. We represent Jesus. We represent the law. We represent, uh, 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 what do you call it, a uh, civilization, civilized society. You people represent criminals. You people represent savages. You people represent the unchurched, the unlearned, the unschooled, the uncouth. You represent these wild nations of people. And it's a danger to civilized people to have you kind of people running around. So we've got to kill you. We have to imprison you. We have to enslave you to civilize you. As the, gen as the genocide went on with the natives here, they had what they called the five civilized tribes, saying, we only trust you because you'll do what we say you should be doing to run your business the way we say you should be running it. Run your so life. So this is the nature of it, the currency of it. Right. Run right. your life. Yeah. So the currency, <laughs> yes, every aspect of it, the currency of this situation is like the money is based on the criminality saying that people are criminals. Marijuana uh, prohibition itself only came after alcohol prohibition was repealed. The people that worked in that department, that was their job. That was their career. Those connections they had made, those people that they had married into those families and them big politicians and all of the people that went along with that, when they uh, repealed that amendment and alcohol was made legal, they reinstated the liquor tax, they had a federal income tax now, the country was making money again, all those people needed to keep a job. So they, okay, what can we do? Next thing you know, here come reefer madness. Black folks and Mexicans smoking weed, and we got to go get all these people that smoking this weed. And it has never stopped. People have got to look at where we come from to know where we at and where we're going. Again, currency. The current situation <laughs> is white supremacy. And it has to keep criminality of non-white people to stay in, in power. The energy, the money, and the current situation. Currency. It's basically like the government telling you there's a rare Pokemon somewhere and you see millions of people rush into this location. That's pretty much how they're controlling you with this. And, you know, we people celebrate Lincoln, the freaking racist and betrayer, without even understanding what he was about. I'm a poet. Words are very important to me. Like the 13th Amendment stood out for me very clearly because of that. 
there's something else that stood out very clearly for me, and it was in the letters with Lincoln and Douglas, uh, not Douglas, Frederick Douglas, but his competitor Douglas, uh, and he said, you think slavery is right, speaking of the South, and ought to be extended, while we think it is wrong and ought to be restricted. That, I suppose, is the rub. It is certainly the only substantial difference between us. But see, he said, we think it is wrong and ought to be restricted. What does ought to be restricted mean? It doesn't mean abolition. He wasn't promoting abolition there. He was saying that there is a plan in action that restricts it to something else. And you know what that something else was? It was right there in the 13th Amendment, except for prisoners duly convicted. This is something that had been going on since 1841 with Ohio and 1848 with Alabama. And Lincoln was very much aware of prison leasing projects that were going on there and the success of them and was willing to adopt that in exchange for making people believe that he was some sort of abolitionist or abolitionist ally. You know, um, I remember when I first came across uh, those letters I had never seen these letters before, and thank you to whoever posted them to the internet. Um, but when also, it was Stephen Douglas, right? Ain't that his name? He was the yes. congressman in Steve Georgia, Douglas. and him and Lincoln were friends. When, yeah, him and Lincoln were friends in Congress, because remember, Lincoln first was a congressman. All right? So, mm-hmm. so, but also in that letter, he was begging Douglas to tell his, his friends in the South that we are not planning on doing anything to interfere with your property. We don't plan to do anything to 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 uh, uh, challenge the institution of slavery. The only thing that he was saying is that we're just not going to allow slavery to be extended to these other lands that we're stealing from the natives, okay, from the indigenous folks. And, At least and, not in the way that the South was doing it. Right, right, right. They were going to restrict it, you know, because there was the border wars and and what have you. And and um, I mean, Johanna can tell you about um the border wars between Missouri and Kansas, a uh, bloody Kansas again. That is where John Brown and his sons put some broad swords through the backs of some slavers. Okay, and 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 so I mean, but again, this is how they control people. Because they control your reality, all right? You go to them for information, and they lie to you. All of us. It's just as silly to stand up and pledge allegiance to the flag as it is to go to the Lincoln Memorial and praise him as some great man. And I'll never forget it when Minister Farrakhan said that. He, when he praised uh, uh, Thomas Jefferson, and I'm like, under no circumstance do we praise enslavers. These are white supremacists. But I, I, but more people need to read that letter. Now, all of those enslaved Africans, all those free black people, all of those abolitionist white people who joined the Union Army and whooped the South's butt were betrayed by Lincoln when he sat down with Confederates and came up with the 13th Amendment. What is that exception clause but a betrayal of all those who gave their lives to end slavery? Both the senators from Ohio and the senators from South Carolina were instrumental in making that come to pass as well. You know, we are not supposed to get emotional because emotionalism can cloud your thinking. 
But how can you not get angry, which is an emotion, when you hear these type of stories? Not only the stories of the past, but the clips we just played for you. This is modern day slavery and human trafficking. Again, you shouldn't let your anger move you to make mistakes. But you should be angry about the enslavement, the genocide that is going on, and that anger should move you to become an abolitionist. Indeed. Scotty, I appreciate what you're saying. I appreciate what you're saying, and I know what you're speaking to, at least in part, because I've heard the critiques of my own emotions. I've heard people, you know, whether they called into the program or, or spoken to us through other social media uh, outlets telling us, you know, kind of checking us on our emotions about these things. But look, there are several world comp uh, worldwide competitive sports, as well as in this country itself. I mean, multi-billion-dollar operations, and all they doing is selling emotion. Football, basketball, baseball, whatever, golf, all of this—it's just emotion. They put people in a stadium. They let people walk around on the green and follow the golfer. They let people watch these things. Emotion. And it generates revenue. And it creates an identity. It creates groups and sects of people. It has people that the, 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 the Raiders versus the Chiefs hate each other. It, it creates long generational uh, traditions of people, this Yankees fans, their grandpa was a Yankee fan and went to the game, you know, all this kind of stuff. People need to really stop acting like they don't feed into emotion in all other aspects of their lives. People look at, at, at me walk down the street. There's some folks that will see me walk down the street and will salute. That's an emotion inside themselves to see another brother and they put a power fist up. It's some that'll grab their purse. That's an emotion. People are alive. They act like emotions is not how they make decisions on the day to day. I appeal to people's emotions. I'm in my emotions because this is me. This is my sons. It's my uncle, my cousins. I don't even know all the people in my family that got locked up illegally, got snatched away, that I never even got to meet. They just had a horrible story. I didn't start figuring it out till I was grown, like why so-and-so had such a hard look life. They didn't have no money. And so when the police keyed in on them, they didn't have nobody to help them. And the rest of the family looked at him like, well, he shouldn't have been doing what he did. Oh, well. And the hole just got deeper and deeper and deeper, and they were made a slave. I'm in my emotions because I wasn't able to help them when I was a child, and I saw that going on. But now I'm an adult, and I know better. So, yes, I'm, I'm in my feelings about it because I lost all of my life with my uncles. I lost all of my lifetime with some of my aunties and some of my cousins that got snatched away. See, being emotionless will let you just sit there and watch it when it happens. I'm going to be in my feelings about it every time I see it because it's me right now just like it was my ancestors in the 1800s, 1700s, 1600s. It's still emotions for me. It's hard not to be emotional on this, man. We're talking about slavery and human trafficking and genocide. You know, how can you not? And if you aren't emotional, if you're not feeling some kind of way, then what are you? Where's your humanity? How, how can you stand back and listen? How can you come become aware of this and not want to do something? They must be from the planet Vulcan. Well, the something is happening <laughs> in two days, brother. Two days from now, another something is happening. There are people doing something when everybody's saying nobody's doing anything. 
people are doing something. And it's September 9th will be a prison work uh, strike beginning September 9th, and it's a national event with international repercussions. It could lead to the death knells of what we call for-profit prisons. Um, I'd like to read a quote from a story that really expresses what the priorities involved in here are. Ever since the DOJ announced they would be phasing out the use of private prisons from the federal uh, government, Many states and many, uh, I guess, guard unions, prison guard unions have decried this, not because of any human rights or any kind of uh, problems like that, but because it's costing them money. And here's a quote that comes from Closure of Private Prisons Could Hit Texas in the Pocketbook. And this is September 5th, 2016. So this is a new quote. It says, thousands of jobs, millions of dollars in lucrative government contracts could be in jeopardy in Texas with the Department of Justice decision to phase out the use of privately run prisons. Of the 14 private prisons facing the loss of federal contracts, five are in Texas, the most of any state. The impact will be felt not only in prison yards, but also in the tax rolls and cash registers of small towns and local communities. Edmund says she fears that nearly all the jobs at the prisons will be lost when the company's federal contract expires in March. The five facilities in Texas are centered in West Texas. The facilities include two side-by-side facilities at the Reeves County Detention Complex in Pecos, west of Midland, the Big Spring Correctional Facility in Howard County, Eden Detention Center in Concho County and the Giles W. Dalby Correction Facility in Garza County near Lubbock. Now see, they're not concerned with human rights. There's nothing in there about corrections or, you know, putting people in prison because they have done something wrong. It's all about the dollar. This is supporting entire towns, and they don't want to see it diminished in the least. At the, what they want is to increase. They want Cousin Bubba to get a job at $9 an hour as a guard at the prison. They want people to have these paychecks continuously so they can go down to the town and spend it at the strip joint and buy little doodads with it or groceries or whatever it may be. But at no point does human rights come into this picture. It's all about money. That's what it's always been about is money. And slavery today remains one of the main economic pillars holding this country up. And people just don't want to. I don't know if they don't see it or if they see it and don't care or if they see it and they're like these guys profiting from it. It's, it's, I don't see how anybody can tolerate this. Not a right thinking person, not a person that believes in justice. You know, it, and it just reminds me, we, we will hear people say, you know, I'm sure you guys and the listeners have heard people when we discuss slavery in our past tense, oh, I couldn't have been no slave back then, or I would have been going at the master, I would have killed them, and, and this and that. Well, guess what? You living in slavery today. It's still going on. What are you going to do? I want to share with people other victories that are occurring from this because this is a huge chain reaction occurring right before our faces. We're watching the potential demise of private prisons in the United States. And there's been victories along the way that you may not be aware of. So let me read some of them. Colorado officials announced plans in June to close the private Kit Carson Correctional Center. Mississippi officials said they will close the Walnut Road Correctional Facility. D.C. Mayor 
Muriel Bowser announced that the district would resume operation of the correctional treatment facility when a contract with Corrections Corporation of America expires next year. Kentucky announced the closing of its last three facilities in 2013. In June, however, the state said it was considering reopening two private facilities because of overcrowding. Texas has already closed two private prisons in 2013, and Idaho said in February it would no longer send prisons prisoners to a private facility in Colorado. Let me repeat that because that implies a lot more than what you might get. Idaho said in February it would no longer send prisoners to a private facility in Colorado. When you arrest a man, a woman, or a child in Idaho, and then you send them over to Colorado where people are getting paid to house them and you're splitting the profit, that isn't about corrections. That's human trafficking. Yeah, that's not about rehabilitation either because you would want these people to have access to their families. If you were if they really did something worthy of being in prison to begin with like harming another individual, because to me a crime is only occur has only occurred when you harm another individual. All right? I'm not harming anyone if I fire up a blunt. Who is that harming? You, you could argue I might be harming myself, but who am I? I'm not harming you, so why you want to see me go to slave, into slavery because of it, you know? And, and so, you know, it, it reminds me of the, you're not trying to rehabilitate nobody because if you were, you would have them close to their families so they can see what they're missing, you know, so that their families could offer them encouragement and, and strength and what have you. You know, even in Hawaii, they ship off them prisoners from Hawaii. Now, how much do you think it's going to cost a family in Hawaii to go visit their family member who is enslaved in Colorado or somewhere else here in the States? This is crazy. This, this man, I get angry. I get angry, and I'm just, I'm tired of it, man. I'm tired of it. You should because it's not it's not based on any type of logic. It's not based on any kind of facts. So the reason why a lot of emotion comes into play with what when we're presenting these things is because the persecution is coming towards us is based on the on the pers- on the persecutors' emotions themselves. <clears throat> They're not basing this on facts. They have feelings about things. Mainly, they love money. They want as much of it as they can get. They love control. They love power. They love controlling resources, human resources, and resources in the land, out of the earth itself, the money, the air, the water. They want to maintain the reality of the people. It's a desire that's in them. It's a lust that's in them to go out and do these things. So they're battling us with emotion. We're pointing out the facts of the matter is that it's no logic to what they're doing. Yeah, the, my, what you my, said with the, with, the, with the drug use, like you said that with the drug use, you don't hear a politician speak anything about uh, the tobacco. Exactly. Tobacco kills 100,000 people a year. Alcohol, too. Alcohol, same thing. A couple hundred thousand people a year die from complications of alcohol. You won't hear any of these candidates speak about it. People lose me when they try when they try to say like they're so intelligent, they're so informed about these candidates. And if you get out and vote, you just don't know. No, you don't know what you're talking about. Because if you had a damn ounce of sense in your head, and you really cared about human rights, you really cared about human suffering, 
those two things should be the first thing on the agenda for anybody running. We're losing hundreds of thousands of people a year to liquor and freaking t and cigarettes. Why haven't you said anything about that? You're not losing people to all the drugs combined is like 5,000 deaths a year of all known street drugs, as they say, or Schedule One uh, serious drugs. It's like 5,000 deaths of all of it combined every year. And you've got a million people in jail behind it. That's There's right. no logic there. None, none whatsoever, except for your logic is to practice slavery. Like Ann Rand said, the only power government has is to crack down on criminals, and if it ain't no criminals, then one simply makes criminals. You criminalize people's activity. This is activity that people have been engaged in for thousands of years. So, you know, uh, my emotions are based in fact. They aren't based on just emotions. I'm not just, you know, getting emotion. These are facts. I get emotional because, man, I'm tired of seeing people suffering. Now, I don't currently have any family members on a prison plantation, but I've had some on a prison plantation, and it ain't like they ain't tried to get me on one. So I know it's just a matter of time. It's just a matter that we all have have targets on our backs. And I'm not going to sit around, but if I wait till they come get me, well, I've waited too damn late, haven't I? I've waited too late. So, people, I'm just trying to get you to see what they got planned for you and what they got planned for your children and what they got planned for your grandchildren. We need to come together now. We need critical mass now to end this evil institution that has been plaguing mankind for far too long. Now, um, I just posted a link to the new abolitionist uh, page, and there are a bunch of the events that are, are going on, okay? And they've been going on all through August as well. So there is a website, it's, it's going down.org, it's going down.org. Somebody did a great job in in listing all of the different actions that are occurring over the over of uh, the nation. All all of this stuff is going on. They've been having something almost it seemed like every day in August. Let me just every read day. some of the stuff. Let me read a, a couple of the things uh, for this weekend in Portland, Oregon, on September the ninth, there will be a rally and march on corporations profiting from prison labor in solidarity with the prison strike. So not just the private prison corporations, they going after the Walmarts, the Microsofts, the, the uh, Starbucks, the Targets, the McDonald's, the Wendy's, okay? All y'all just don't realize how many of these Fortune 500 companies are still profiting off of slave labor. And, and if you realize that, then you will understand why you can't find a manufacturing job. Now, uh, in Eugene, Oregon, on September the 9th, a panel discussion event on slavery. Uh, Eureka, California, September the 9th, solidarity demonstration with the national prison strike. In Oakland, on September the 9th, a barbecue to make banners, discuss the strike, and watch films. Uh, let me move to a couple of other states. There's a bunch of stuff going on in California. In Phoenix, Arizona, uh, on September the 9th, a rally outside of the facility in solidarity with the prison strike. Tucson, 
on Sunday, a march in solidarity with prison rebels. Uh, uh, let me move to Wisconsin. September the 9th, solidarity picnic in event. September the 10th, a rally against prison slavery. Um, let me move on. Let me see. We got Bloomington, Indiana. Those events have already passed. They had one on the 7th. Indianapolis. Uh, Indianapolis, Indiana. September the 9th, a noise demonstration in solidarity with the national prison strike. In Minnesota, on September the 9th, there will be a benefit show. And they have links to where you could get more information and all the details. Uh, Denver, Colorado, a noise demonstration outside of the youth jail in solidarity with the prison strike. Uh, they got stuff going on in Chicago. Uh, rally in March on the 9th in solidarity with the national prison strike. I mean, Michigan, Missouri, Texas, Georgia, Alabama, Louisiana, Tennessee, Maryland, Washington, D.C., North Carolina, Florida, uh, Pennsylvania, all over the country, people. All over the all country. Over. But guess you know what? what? I bet you ain't. South I bet Carolina. you. I bet you. I bet you. You ain't heard about none of this. On CNN, MSNBC, ABC, Fox. Oh, they'll definitely tell you about how to profit from prison slavery. But they ain't going to tell you about all of this people activity to end slavery. Guys, we got to take a break. We're a little bit over our break time. Do you want to take it now? Yes, we could just go ahead and take a short break. All right, we're going to take a short break. When we come back, we're going to talk a little bit more, and we're going to get into another story. You're listening to New Abolitionist Radio on blacktalkradionetwork.com. We'll be right back after these messages. No, I'm not a writer. Okay. Black Talk Radio, since 2008, providing new black media for the masses. Welcome back to New Abolitionist Radio. Hey, Scotty, I just wanted to say that I noticed on that list that there was nothing at all for South Carolina. And I feel some kind of way, considering I'm here right now doing this right now in South Carolina. We've been helping pushing this from the very beginning. So there are there is someone from South Carolina making a difference, indeed. Most certainly, most certainly. Well, hey, you might have to right. get get with Brother uh, DeBaja. Um, uh, did I say his name right? A Black Ooh. Lives Matter Charleston. Oh, you mean Muhadeen Dabaha? Yeah, Muhadeen Dabaha. Yeah, get with yeah. him, man. Yeah. You know, if, if just y'all two, well, you, your wife, him, if, if wherever three abolitionists are gathered together, all right. Yeah, there you go. There's freedom. All right, I, I, you're right, brother. Yeah, we're doing something right here, right now in South Carolina. South Carolina is a place. I must admit it's full of freaking cowards and I'm not one of them I'm certainly no coward and I'm willing to stand up and I gotta tell you it's what made me write this earlier today but I said I think the people around me are more upsetting than my mental well-being than institutional slavery I fight every day with slavers I know what to expect they're just evil demons sociopaths psychopaths and cold-hearted callous and human beasts who would sell their mothers for a little power fame and money but those around me are just being cowardly, ignorant tools. 
burying your heads in the sand and raising them long enough to applaud what someone else is doing. We don't need your applause. We need your support and your help. Inaction is inaction. There is no middle ground over slavery. And as Martin Luther King said, nothing in all the world, nothing is more dangerous than sincere ignorance and conscientious stupidity. Wow. It's just frustrating, dude. I've been telling people this for years, right here in my own neighborhood, my own town, my own state. And we get a lot of people involved, but when it comes time to make a difference, to make a move, everybody's a coward all of a sudden. They got nothing to say. But they got a lot to say at the poetry venues, and that's the only time you hear it. What they saying, the they saying about that slave catcher not being charged for slinging that, that young black child halfway across the room, manhandled her like that. Remember that? That happened in South Carolina. Huh? I asked a friend, who I consider a friend, who was also in a a position where she has high accolades in the educational facilities, educational institution. I asked her to write a letter uh, to the judge in reference to this young girl's case. I never saw that letter. It's just disappointing, man, the lack of action that people are willing to do, even the slightest thing, like write a freaking letter. Well, you know what? I, I, it's very frustrating, especially when we have have we live these facts. We know these facts. We do. It's not just on Wednesday that we're talking about these issues, and so it's just frustrating when you could present somebody with some facts and it just don't move them. Man, they act like they safe or something. I don't. I don't understand that mentality. I don't know. I, well, maybe it's this. I interviewed this this one man who's. Well, I'm not even gonna go there. No, let me just stay focused on the slavers. Stay focused on the slavers. There you go. Yeah. Well, you know, there's a new study came out. One of the latest four hundred three thousand nine million studies that's coming out, uh, which we never really act upon. But here's a new study that came out, and I want to share with everybody. Uh, if you, unless you have something else to add to the last conversation, um, I think Johanna was trying to speak. Johanna, no, no, I was just agreeing with what y'all was saying as far as just people and the inactivity in general. I mean, ain't no need to harp on that. It's it's pervasive throughout all aspects of 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 our uh, lives. We see. I mean, slavery is what we care about. You know the most, and what we talk about is he is a key to so many other issues. If we could fix that, we all get that. But when you look at, like we said, I mean, tobacco, the diet, the water, the air, the, the way the politics is set up. We're about to have a presidential election right now. That's a complete sham. Nobody picked either one of these people, and that's the two choices you got. So, like, people's indifference and apathy and ability to turn their head the other way and long as they can get a comfortable smile and a nod at the water cooler at work in the morning, I mean, they just they just don't really seem to care. <laughs> I, don't, I don't get it, man. I'm going to do what I'm going to do, though, because I can't sleep at night if I'm not doing this. I can't look at my, ch- my children in the face. I can't look at my nephews. I can't look at my family. I can't go out in public. And if somebody does, God forbid, start some trouble with me, have an issue with me because I'm black or because, you know, whatever, these kind of things that do tend to happen from time to time throughout your life, I can't say a word because I'm not fighting for freedom in no kind of way. 
So the criminality that's put out there about us, the image that's put out there about us, the uh, characterization of our neighborhoods, the, the demonization of our people, the miseducation, the, the predatory nature of all of these systems that come against us, I can't be upset when it does hit me if I don't do nothing about it every day I got until it does come my way. So I'm going to do it anyway, whether they care or want to fight or not. Indeed. If yeah. There's a reason for, for moving on. Here's one. Well, Max, before you say that, let me just say to what he said, though. You know, we do want critical mass, but from what I've been told by some of the elders who've been involved in revolutionary movements in the 60s and have a whole lot more knowledge and experience than I have on anything, and but they was like, in most of the countries where there have been successful revolutions, only 5% of the people was revolutionaries. The other 95% were apathetic and sitting on the sidelines. So if we could just get 5%, 5% of, of if you, if Americans or however you classify yourself. So 5%, 5% of what, 300 million? I believe we can, we can do this. Yeah, I think we're uh, at about more than the halfway mark now, maybe 3% now. And that's why you see so many waves and ripples. When you get to 5%, it's going to be over and done. It's just going to be too much there after that. Well, let me uh, share this here newest story that came out, another one of these studies. And it comes from County Current News, this particular story about the study. And it says, if anyone needed a reminder that America has a police brutality problem, the deaths of Alton Sterling and Philando Castile provided it. Actual numbers on violent police encounters are difficult to come by, but this dearth of data is getting more attention. New research published in the British Medical Journal demonstrates the danger posed to citizens by the most routine police practice of illegal stop. Researchers analyzed 12.3 million police interventions from 2012 and found that approximately 54,400 people were injured or killed by cops during legal stop and search incidents in one single year. Of this number, about 1,000 were killed, with vast majority dying from gunshot wounds. The remaining 54,400 were hospitalized with serious injuries, mostly from blunt objects. On average, an estimated 1 in 291 stops slash arrests resulted in hospital treated injury or death of a suspect or bystander. Granted, some of these injuries or deaths were justified to protect officers or innocent people from actual violent people. But even the authors of the study conclude that these numbers reflect an excess exposure of people to police violence. In an interview with Vocative, lead author Ted Miller of the Pacific Institute for Research and Evaluation pointed out how many shooting deaths in the U.S. come from a police gun. Listen to this now. In one in 11 cases where someone died because someone else intentionally shot them, a police officer pulled the trigger. Let me repeat that. One in 10 gun deaths come from police. One in 10. 10% of the gun deaths in America are police shooting people. The fact that cops are responsible for almost 10% of firearm-related homicides in the U.S., which already has an extraordinarily high rate of gun deaths relative to other countries, should be enough cause 
enough to cause a serious rethinking of police across the country. The new study also confirmed that minorities are targeted for stops at a far higher rate, although the likelihood of being injured or killed during that particular stop was equal for all groups. There's much, much more to this story. I'll put it on New Abolitionist Radio. But you heard it. 10% of all gun deaths come at the hand of police. You know, CEO um, CEO Obama is in, well, he was in China earlier, and he was supposed to raise the issue with the Filipino president about the extrajudicial killings of suspected drug dealers and drug addicts and what have you. And I just, but the man, he, he was wrong for um, using that vulgar language to refer to President Obama's mama. You know, that was just wrong. But let's get past that, right? We can all agree that you shouldn't call people mamas uh, uh, whores or bitches, whichever he called her. Um, but let's get past that. Now, they're called, he's called going over there, so called, going to call out this person for prosecuting a drug war that the United States is funding. Again, this is global. This just isn't happening here. I looked it up. They're giving them $3 million annually to prosecute the drug war and then giving them much more money than that in so-called military aid. And they're using the military to round up people and extrajudicially murder them. No trial, no nothing. We going to kill you. And then he doubled down and said that he won't stop till every last drug dealer and addict is killed. Now, this is a monster that U.S. drug policy created. Now, you want to try to rein it in because what? Well, he just didn't took it too far or something, you know. But then just the other day, just yesterday, I was reporting on the young man in Florida who was in his bed in his mama's house, only 22 years old, in his mama's house, in the bed, when a squat team does a raid on his house looking for some cannabis. And while he was in the bed, early morning, no-knock raid, he was in the bed, one of the squat team officers busted out his bedroom window. That would startle anyone. So he jumps up out of bed and gets immediately shot. That's an extrajudicial killing. And they happen every day here in USA. So, CEO Obama, you need to take care of home first before you go pointing at somebody else. What what the scriptures say, Johanna? Remove what remove that beam from your own eye, then you can see clearly to remove the log. Well, no, I got it backwards. Remove the log from your own no, eye. You're right. And then you can see clearly to remove the beam from the second mile. Yeah. Exactly. They want to point you at all right these the other time. countries. You're get the, right. But they don't want to look at themselves and clean up home. No. I can't I can't acknowledge, you know, these things that go on in the in the international settings. I mean, it's just political theater, man. America destabilizes everybody else's shit. It ain't no way around that. You're not looking at anything organically happening in other countries around the world. Everything you see going on in other countries, politics, policy, policing, drug problems or drug issues, money, banking, whatever, is a result of America dipping their finger in the Kool-Aid and stirring it a little bit. Venezuela right now, we mentioned earlier in the program, Venezuela didn't collapse on its own. Venezuela had a strong economy. Venezuela has... 
like five of the most highest demand uh, resources between the oil, natural gas, gold, different types of ores that's in the earth or whatever. Venezuela is set. Venezuela is is like second to like African countries in some regards. They, used to they don't need us. Yes, yes. They don't, they don't need nobody's help. But what did America do? Go over there, and whether you believe it or not, the president sure did come down with a case of cancer that took his ass out in 12 months or less. The same thing goes on in African countries. At one point in Africa, in, in one year, I think it was 2011 or 2012, they lost 10 presidents in African countries, including uh, Gaddafi. And all of these people were coming together in the African Union and stabilizing their governments and coming together, putting together a gold standard for their for their money and about to demand actual gold in trade for the resources that colonist countries in America are steadily raping out of the land. And when they saw that come on the horizon, are oh, they getting together? They're they going to want gold for this? They don't want this fiat money? They don't want this fake dollar bills? They want gold? Oh, well, they need to die. And uh, we'll put in our puppets, and we'll uh, go ahead and just business as usual, and then we'll say, why can't these people figure out how to solve their own problems? Man, I don't pay attention to nothing. They, that they, like you said earlier, Max, when we talked about all of the protests going on and talked about all the different people, grassroots, and every state that's mentioned, and you won't see none of that on the news. But what you will see on the news is it's a mess like this. So people feel like, well, you know, we're we're the best. Those people are so backwards. This guy's an idiot. Your own uh, Congress members called Obama, literally called him a pussy a couple months ago. So why they mad that this man said called his mama a whore? Your own people, this right here, this his employees, basically. So then they called him a tar baby. I mean, what, I don't understand why this man and what he said really bothers anybody. We've been treating the man bad for eight years right here at home. Indeed, we have. Well, and the, you know, the topic of the day is whether or not people should be standing for the Pledge of Allegiance. I think that topic needs to be switched. It needs to be whether or not you should be fighting to end slavery. Well, Max, again, like when you mentioned earlier when we first started this program, thousand cuts. Yeah, uh, death by a thousand paper cuts. And so, by what Colin Kaepernick did in pointing out the hypocrisy and pointing out the slave catchers who are killing people and there's bodies in the street and these people are getting paid leave, you know, vacation and whatnot. I mean, it all rolls going to lead to slavery. So eventually, hopefully, he will come around to that. And all those people, the millions of people that are showing solidarity with him, hey, they right to be picked as abolitionists, man. He just just softened the ground. All rolls lead to slavery. If you're looking for the truth, that's where you're going to end up. Like, you're going to come to a realization that slavery was never abolished. That what you're calling by all these metaphors, like Common and his new album does, using as plantations, is not just a metaphor, but reality. One thing I did notice... Um, when I was reading off those different events that's going on across the country and like me and you were talking about before we came online um, about the language changing because if you notice in more than one of those entries they called it slavery they called it slavery to end prison slavery they, or, or yes. so 
man, you know, I, I'm just excited by that. Just the change of the language, man, will lead to the truth. And shout out to the Free Alabama Movement and Brother Connecticut and those out there in the Alabama prisons where it's 200% occupancy at the moment and they're making uh, foodstuffs, McDonald's, working in prison slave labor themselves. They have to bring this thing to light in a major way from the inside, working out uh, with people on the outside to bring this to light. So shout out to the Free Alabama Movement. Yeah, yeah. have listeners radio as well. Yeah, whenever you guys get a, get an opportunity, please call in. I, I know it's hard on the plantation, but we love to hear from you guys again. Yes, we certainly would, man. And we, you know, I, I think of them often, uh, and what they have gone through already just to bring this to light. You know, the leaders of this movement right now are being labeled as terrorists. <laughs> like they're being labeled as terrorists, literally. That is what they're calling them, and somehow or another, wanting your freedom not to be ever forced to work uh, as we heard in that commercial earlier with no days off and no breaks and no pay and no rights and no anything not wanting that in your life is an act of terrorism apparently well here we go um, we got about five minutes for our next break and uh, following segments is there anything you brothers want to cover uh, in the meantime I mean nothing more, <clears throat> nothing more than what we what we've been talking about here recently with the uh, the upcoming uh, conference here, uh, the Missouri Cure Conference coming here. I had made a promise to myself to really start pushing, you know, here in the month of September, because I just feel like people kind of have short attention spans or what have you. So we've been knowing about this obviously for several months and mentioning it, but um, coming up here, you know, toward the end of this month, September twenty fourth, it's gonna be a, a powerful. A powerful meeting because Max will be in my city and I will be speaking here in my own city as well and it's just so many things coming together at the like the perfect storm building because what we're seeing with what's happened to private prisons what we've seen that has happened to Geo Group and CCA in the last few weeks people that is not some at all last year Max was instrumental in helping us bring about that Justice is not for sale act and seeing that the abolishment of private prisons even having that language out there in the universe was revolutionary fast forward a year later we're looking at the government trying to figure out how to just wipe their hands clean of dealing with these people in any kind of way and in the private sector there's three major international law firms that are filing class action lawsuits and actively recruiting shareholders right now putting out press releases almost weekly telling these people get in on this because they took $400 million of your money by lying to you for the last four years and we're going to help you get that money back so I just want to remind people that you know what we're dealing with right now is not all hope is lost doom and gloom it all looks bad nothing's working hey I've been out on the ledge Max can tell you Scotty can tell you they done had to talk me off the ledge a few times. Like, man, I ain't got time for this. I'm going black ops. I'm off the radar. I'm going to just do what I got to do, and whatever happens, happens. Because what we're trying to do, hey, people ain't listening. Nothing's changing. It's not getting better. We're not seeing no signs of nothing happening. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, you start getting the alerts. You start getting the symbols and the signs, and you're seeing what's going on. So I would tell people to hold on. And, uh, and if you can make it to Kansas City, get to Kansas City by September 24th. Because 
we're going to have an abolitionist nuke bomb drop on the city. Yes, I, I believe you're right, brother. With Keith Brown and the other activists that are going to be there, uh, really looking forward to this event coming together. We are going to have a heck of a discussion going on. And you know me. I'm not pulling no punches. I'm coming down to Missouri a couple of years after Mike Brown was murdered to tell you why he was murdered and how he was murdered and what caused his murder and where all these things come from and why you're living in poverty and why your children are going to prisons and who's paying for all that. I'm coming to tell you that straight up. And I give you some hope, like I've given hope to Scotty and, and to both uh, Scotty and Johanna. And when, as you said, you were about to lose it. Because all I got is hope. I got nothing else. And I got to hope that this abolitionist thing comes to fruition or we won't see freedom. Well, let me give out the telephone number. I'm hoping someone from the IWW uh, planning committee calls in and gives us an update and gives, you know, we can give them an opportunity to say as much as they want to say here. Uh, at this time about the upcoming event. The number is one six four one seven one five three six six zero. Access code is five four nine oh three two pound. If you're already on the line, just press star six and one to queue up from the conference line. Now I know I didn't give them a lot of time. I just asked today if somebody could come in, but hopefully they are listening and we'll give a call in. We're about uh, a minute out of our next commercial break. You want to take it now and then come back and get on the rest of our stuff, or do we have a phone call? Um, um, no, at this time, we do not have anyone with a question, but uh, we can go ahead and take that station identification break. All right, we'll take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk a little bit more, a little bit more along the veins that we've already been following. You're listening to New Abolitionist Radio with Scotty Reed, Max Spartus, and Johanna Nalaya. We'll be right back after these messages. This is Brother Elliot, host of Time for an Awakening, and you're listening to Black Talk Radio Network, new media for the new millennium. Make Black Talk Radio your choice for digital black radio, new black media for the new millennium. Peace and welcome back to New Abolitionist Radio here on blacktalkradionetwork.com. And uh, we're going to get into the rest of our stories regarding the September 9th National Prison Slave Labor Work Strike, which is affecting not only prisons, but juvenile detention facilities, jails, anywhere that people are held in bondage. We are asking that you stop working. And if you're listening to Sound of Our Voices right now, try to get in contact with somebody in the inside who does not know and let them know. We understand the prices that they have to pay. We understand the sacrifices that we're asking them to make. With the only source of income they could possibly have to be able to survive inside these walls to give it up, to stop. And that's exactly what we're asking. So we can all get freedom. Not just you, but the people who are going to replace you when you leave need this. So we're asking all prisoners across the nation to participate to any degree that you can, even if it's so much as not making your bed when they tell you to. Don't do anything starting September 9th. Max, um, we have a, 
Go ahead, brother. Yeah, we got a um, caller from the 804 area code. Thank you for calling in the New Abolitionist Radio. Go ahead with your question or your comment. Um, hi, how y'all doing? Um, oh, I only had um, one comment. <clears throat> um, I've just been listening for a while to you all, and um, I heard you talk about the pledge to the flag and uh, police brutality and prison plantation. Basically, um, as far as that pledge to the flag, my children have never pledged allegiance to the um, flag in school. And, and as a matter of fact, my daughter got in trouble one year. Um, she said her teacher tried to force her to stand up. And she came, when she came home and told me, I went to the school the next day, and I had a meeting with the teacher. And, I, you know, I let them know that they didn't have to do that. Right, they don't. And, yeah. So, I mean, my son said his teacher mentioned something to him, too, trying to get him to stand up. But, you know, after that, I got a straight school and math didn't have to do it at all. As a matter of fact, at work, we had something one day, and my supervisor tapped me on the shoulder and said, stand up. And I said, no. You know, ma'am, I, I appreciate you calling in and sharing that story because I just spoke to a mother um, last week, yeah, last week, um, her son's father, her husband, was run over. It was caught on video by police in Dillon, um, Florida. Ran him over. Vehicular manslaughter is what I call it, or vehicular murder is what I call it. And he recently refused to stand for the um, the uh, Pledge of Allegiance in school. And now some of the other students are going to join in this protest going forward and I would say to anyone out there white black Hispanic whatever until they end slavery what are you pledging allegiance to that's right I asked on one of the guys I said do you pledge allegiance to the red black and the green (laughs) what was the answer (laughs) let me just look now as far as the police brutality I remember one year the teenage boys um, ran my way. They they did. They threatened this guy. They, it was a tow truck. They, um, that apartment complex made a lot of money. They must have had some kind of contract with this towing company because they were torn even when they weren't supposed to tow. So the teenage boys, the, the guy said that he threatened, they threatened him. So anyway, he called the police. Now, one of the kids just happened to be my son in that group. Hmm. So when I spoke with the officer, he said, it was a young officer in his mid-20s, I would say, and he was European, and he said, well, they're lucky that I'm not the officer that got there first. He said, I would have shot all of them. He said, I would have shot first and asked questions later. Mm-hmm. And I looked up at him. I was shocked he even had the guts and nerves to even say that. I looked. And I had to catch myself because I almost said something to him. I probably would have been under arrest. But I, I could not believe that he said he would have shot first and asked questions later with teenagers. And I say, sir, I say, those are young children. They're kids. They're teenagers, 14, 15. They're young. I said, you would have shot first and asked questions later. He said, that's right. He said, because most of them are out of control nowadays anyway. How so old? Like, um, how old? They have a personal vendetta against those young black males anyway. Well, we yeah. call them KKK. 
anyway, though. But I mean, Check, I just couldn't believe that he said that about children. I, I can believe it. I can believe it. I'm going to tell you why. The average age of the enslaved African who was kidnapped and brought here in cha- chains was a teenager, 15 and 16 years old. They weren't bringing over adults. They were bringing over children. Children. How old was George Stinney in South Carolina when he was executed, Max? 14 years old. 14 years the old. person to ever be executed on American soil by the Justice Department. And the last thing that I will point you to is the 2006 FBI report that shows the white supremacist infiltration of law enforcement. This is something they they know, the federal government know that these departments are infested with Klan members, with neo-Nazis, what they call ghost skins, where the Klan said that we need to infiltrate these uh, public offices and so we can't have tattoos and things of that nature and so the FBI call them ghost skins. Uh, well, I think that's what the Klan even calls them, ghost skins. And they, have, and they put out a report in 2006 detailing their infiltration in the police departments but I am not an idiot because I know that white supremacist clan members and, and, and what have, have always been part of the police department always and let's not forget that they, they are the descendants of the slave patrols and that's what they doing today they still slave patrolling and patty rolling yeah, as a matter of fact, out in Charleston, South Carolina, the badges the police wear actually say established in 1868. So did you have anything else you, you wanted to share, ma'am? Just one other thing. I, you know, I used to work in the school system. Now I work in what we call the county in the area where I live at with the inner city schools, too. As well as, you know, I worked at three different branches of the school system. But anyway, I noticed a lot of those young black males had a criminal record, juvenile record, before they, most of them, before they got in high school, either by the time they got in high school, I would say a good, maybe six out of ten, maybe, Mm. had some running with the law, and they didn't do that, especially in. Uh, area called Verano where I live with the white young males. I mean, they spray painted the whole school almost. And these some white children did this, and they did not get in any kind of trouble. And then they also had a rule at the school that you couldn't wear any shirts that they, um, they had like a racial slur or whatever. Well, the white children were allowed to wear the shirts with the Confederate flags on them and didn't get in any trouble. The black children couldn't even wear a Malcolm X shirt or anything like that to school, but the white children were allowed to wear the Confederate flag shirts, hats, and everything, even have that on their car. You wouldn't even supposed to have it on your car if you were black, you know. So um, I say the reason why they get away with a lot of that is because the black parents don't speak up and don't stick together with issues like that. And if they, they say the, the Confederate flag the young lady at the school said, it's pride, it's heritage. Yeah, and that and heritage so- is slavery. Yeah. <laughs> Indeed. Well, I want to thank you 
for calling in and listening. And I hope you tell uh, people in your local area about New Abolitionist Radio. And hopefully we can provide information and insights. And, and we're always open to information from our callers such as yourself. But please tell other people about New Abolitionist Radio. We're on every Wednesday night at 8 o'clock p.m. Eastern time on BlackTalkRadioNetwork.com. Thank you again, ma'am. And you stay safe behind these enemy lines. Indeed, thank you. And remember that we are also uh, in archives, so at any time, you can listen to any one of our programs over the past years now uh, and just see what we've had to say and how often we've hit it right on the head, just about every single time. And in support of what she was saying, I posted several things on New Abolitionist Radio Facebook page. One is the all four stanzas of the national anthem, including the reference to the slaves in the third stanza. I also posted a video that shows the President of the United States refusing to salute the flag while standing next to several other senators, including, at the time, Hillary Clinton, with everybody's hands on their heart except him. Um, then further up, you'll see his defense of uh, the uh, right of this brother to not put his hand over his heart and stand the flag. And then finally, one more video where Obama talks to students, I believe at Harvard University, and explains to them that slavery was never abolished and that Lincoln betrayed all black people. Let me clear the uh, callers. q is clear. Let me make sure mm-hmm. Johanna and Mike is still open. Johanna, your mic's still open. Yeah, it's open. I, I see it. Okay, I'm still here. Can you hear me? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Okay, right on. Yeah, we got about 40 minutes left in the broadcast, so if there's anybody uh, else. I'm sorry? 20 minutes. Oh, did I say 40 minutes? That's what I meant, 20 yeah. minutes. Yeah, we got about 20 minutes left in the broadcast. We got a couple of more segments to get to. Uh, my abolitionist and profile is an entire town, and that one is about four minutes long. So if you do have any questions or comment, please get them in as soon as possible. Again, we only have 20 minutes left. The phone number is 641-715-3660. The participant code is 54902-POUND. It starts 6 and 1 to comment on air. Uh, Again, we want to remind you of the ongoing prison strike, but uh, really is going to kick off on September the 9th. September the 9th, that's this weekend. So if there's an event in your area, please, please, please show up and and stand in solidarity with other abolitionists. Indeed. Let the record show that on September 7th, through Abolitionist Radio dedicated their program to this topic. Well, unless we have any uh, body that's calling in, uh, I will get to our 21st century rider of the Underground Railroad. What do you suggest? Yes, go ahead, Max. All right. This uh, week's rider of the 21st century Underground Railroad is going to be Lawrence William Lee of Georgia. Lawrence William Lee, Georgia Conviction, 1987. Charges dismissed, 2015. On June 8th, 2015, the Wayne County, Georgia Superior Court granted the prosecution's motion to dismiss all charges against Larry Lee after he had spent more than 27 years in prison, more than 20 on death row, for a triple murder during a home robbery. You can, uh, the notes say, see order of Noel prosecute uh, Wayne County, Georgia Superior Court, June 8, 2015. 
in May 2008, the state superior court granted me a new trial, finding that prosecutors had engaged in a full spectrum of prosecutorial misconduct, accompanied by prejudicial investigative failures by his trial counsel. As described by the Superior Court, Lee was convicted and sentenced to death based upon a weak prosecution case dependent for its success on the believability of two witnesses unfavored in the law and by the public, a jailhouse snitch and a co-conspirator. With absolutely no forsonic evidence, forensic evidence, to link him to the crime scene, the court found that the prosecution affirmatively misrepresented to the defense and the court that it had no exculpatory evidence in its files, while concealing evidence that contradicted the testimony or undermined the credibility of every one of its key witnesses. It also manipulated the trial proceedings by first defined, def denying the defense access to the physical evidence and then presenting evidence and argument it knew to be false that suggested Lee had been in possession of guns stolen from the victim's home. The prosecution also concealed evidence that linked two other suspects to the murders and subsequently lost or destroyed 47 latent fingerprints and 15 unknown hairs recovered from the scene that did not match Lee, preventing Lee's post-conviction lawyers from examining this exculpatory physical evidence to identify the actual perpetrators. In February of 2015, the Superior Court barred the prosecution from presenting the prior testimony of two now-deceased witnesses, ruling that prosecutorial misconduct had prevented Lee from adequately cross-examining these witnesses at trial. See Order Concerning Admissibility of Evidence, Wayne County, Georgia, Superior Court, February 19, 2015, and leading to the decision to drop charges against Lee. And we here at New Abolition, Abolitionist Radio salute you, Brother Lee. Salute. Welcome to Freak. You hear that, man? They talked about the prosecutor like it was an entity. He has a name just like his brother who spent 27 years in prison had a name. Right. Who did that? And why isn't he facing charges or she facing right. charges? Odds are, is he, because we all know 95% of all prosecutors are white, and 79% of them are white men. So there's an 80% chance that the guy that did this was a white man. So who is he? Because that was completely criminal. You cost a man 27 years of his life and 20 years of it on death row. Who could think of a hell worse than that, that you put these, this person through, but you don't even get a name. You just become prosecutors you know in yeah. a capital case such as that where a person is facing the death penalty and you engage in prosecutorial misconduct i would call that attempted murder they attempted to murder this man right right it's coming y'all it's coming what i've seen happen from the angle we took to to start chipping away at the foundation of this the angle that we took we looked at everything, and we always remind people, you know, death by a thousand paper cuts is still this dead. So, I mean, that's cool. But the way that the private prison situation is so egregious, I mean, it's all foul. It's all genocide. I mean, by all means, it's all horrible. But just looking at, like, the incentive that's there for the profit and looking at the way it's so... in 
is so uh, integrated into jobs and economies, local small economies, and just the way they hide it and all that, and it was and the way they write the laws and all that. And so we took a lot of time to point that out, and our efforts are being rewarded now. The pa the picture was painted so well that that's something that the mainstream, even the government itself, just couldn't deny no more. This all right. We just we got to give in. This 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 is making us all look bad. This is we we can't afford to do. This now, of course, they got a backup. Of course, they got another plan in the works. They're gonna do, they'll go unveil something, or whatever. But saying all that to say, with the barbarity of these false convictions, and with the prevalence of all of these conviction integrity units showing up all over the country in different jurisdictions, with the way that there's two thousand or more people who fairly recently have been exonerated and those numbers keep growing every year there's hundreds and hundreds of more people coming out that was completely sham the evidence the weight of the evidence is, is swinging the scale back the other way to where this will be another one what I think we're dealing with now is the issue of financial compensation as we talked about with New York City specifically knowing they've got so many cases a hundred or so that's tied to, to uh, oh boy the detective uh, Scarcella Scarcella yeah. Yeah, just himself. He got over he got over a hundred cases, and uh, uh, Scott Stringer, the the, the uh, financial the guy that pulls the strings in New York City, basically said we can't exonerate, but only a certain number of people because we can't pay all these people the millions of dollars that the precedent is being set for. If you give somebody twenty million dollars for twenty seven years that you stole, and you got a hundred more just from one cop. And there's 10,000 cops over the last 30 years that have all done their part to be a part of somebody's false conviction. And you start giving out that kind of money, the city will be done overnight. So we're we fighting against some things. But I'm just putting that in the universe so people will know more specifically what we're fighting against. So you can speak to that. You can pray about that. You can focus on that. You can study on that. Figure out the financial aspect of paying these people figure out some different ideas of how to speak on it you know in your own local situation and get the information out there to people and make it a reality that everybody knows we got thousands of people out of the two and a half million if there's only a, a two percent that's thirty thousand people hmm. you know um, one of the stroke of geniuses that you guys had was when y'all came up with the Ferguson is America series because that just really laid out for everyone to see, laid it out bare, the facts that this is patterns and practices across this entire country. Patterns and practice. So again, it ain't nothing that we think is going on. It's what we know is going on. And if you know what's going on, you have if you got any kind of consciousness about yourself, any kind of morality about yourself, you got you have to choose. You have to choose. You can't stay on the fence about this, people. You can't stay on the fence. So I mean, I know everybody doesn't have like the skills, the spoken word skills of a Max Parthis who can move a crowd. They may not have the technical skills that I have in order to engineer a, a digital radio broadcast. They may not have the skills of a Johannin to break down the financials of this industry behind the scenes, but there's something. Everybody has something that they can bring to the table. And again, I consider you an abolitionist if you just do this one thing. 
And that's just tell somebody about the 13th Amendment and that slavery was never abolished and this isn't mass incarceration but the re-enslavement of people in this country. Just telling people that slavery was never abolished is an act of abolitionism and that's the least you can do. The very least. Indeed, man. But we're 10 minutes from the end of our program and it's about time to do our abolitionism profile which this week is an entire town. The whole town? Yes, the whole town. We are giving props and credit where it is due. And Scotty Reed has pre-recorded uh, that for us this evening. Yes, this is, I don't mention it in the uh, piece, but this is Oberlin, Ohio. Oberlin, Ohio. So let me just run this profile of all the citizens of Oberlin who were known as the Oberlin Rescuers. The Oberlin Wellington Rescuers. On the morning of September 13, 1858, John Price, a young free black man, was approached by Shakespeare Boyton, the son of a wealthy Oberlin landholder. Price was unable to provide for himself and had been staying at the house of James Armstrong, a black laborer who often gave refuge to escape victims of slavery. Unbeknownst to John Price, Boyton had been sent by a group of Kentucky slave catchers who had been frustrated in their previous attempts to find runaway victims of slavery, as well as two Columbus deputies. Boyton tricked Price into going with him by saying that the Boytons needed help harvesting crops, and they went off in a buggy. Suddenly, the kidnapping conspirators intercepted the buggy, holding guns and knives, forcing Price into their carriage, and proceeded to Wellington. When news of this incident reached Oberlin about noon that day, a large crowd of Oberlinians, including blacks and whites, townspeople, and students, rode off towards Wellington. Included in the crowd were such prominent Oberlinians as Charles Langston, the brother of John Mercer Langston, and James M. Fitch, bookseller and superintendent of the Oberlin Sunday School. John Watson, a grocer, reached Wellington about 2 o'clock and ran into the town yelling, Kidnappers! The Kentuckians, alarmed at his appearance, took Price up to the attic of the hotel where they were staying and hid there, while the Columbus deputies gathered a posse to guard the doors. Soon a mob of Oberlinians had gathered by the hotel demanding Price's release. Meanwhile, Charles Langston, Watson, and O.B. Wall, another Oberlinian, attempted to seek legal action first trying to persuade the village constable to arrest the slave catchers for kidnapping, and then trying to secure a habeas corpus, a court petition which orders that a person being detained be produced before a judge for a hearing to decide whether the detention is lawful. Despite the failure of these attempts, Langston still endeavored to find a nonviolent solution to the crisis, first seeking to calm the crowd, which had become increasingly agitated, then going to talk to Jacob Lowe, one of Price's kidnappers. However, Langston soon realized that the kidnappers would not give Price up, but informed Lowe that we will have him anyhow. When the crowd learned that Langston's negotiations had failed, they quickly sprang into action. Wilson Evans, John Copeland Jr., and Jerry Fox rushed the door guards and allowed some of the rescuers to enter the hotel. 
a struggle soon broke out in the hotel, during which Richard Windsor, a theological student, led Price outside, where he was led to a buggy and rushed back to Oberlin. Once in Oberlin, the rescuers celebrated their triumph over the hated Fugitive Slave Act. Price was hidden in the home of Oberlin College President James Fairchild and later taken across the border to Canada. 37 of the rescuers were later arrested for their participation in the event. Over the course of the trial, they chose to remain in jail rather than post bail in solidarity with Charles Langston and Simeon Bushnell, who had been convicted and sentenced for their actions. Bushnell was sentenced to 60 days, and Langston had his sentence reduced to 20 days as the result of an impassioned speech. While in prison, the quote-unquote jailbirds, as they came to be known, attempted to carry on with their lives, even printing a newspaper entitled The Rescuer. Eventually, the men from Kentucky and Columbus who had captured John Price were arrested and charged with kidnapping. In return for the charges against them being dropped, they chose to drop the charges against the rest of the rescuers. Thus, on July 7, 1859, all the rescuers, except for Bushnell, who was still serving out his sentence, returned to Oberlin amid great celebration. Bushnell returned to Oberlin on July 11th and was also greeted with a crowd to welcome him home. New Abolitionist Radio salutes the Oberlin Wellington rescuers. Salute. Salute. Hey, they, they wasn't playing, was they? No, no, no. <laughs> By any means that's, necessary. Hey, that's, I mean, the sooner we get into that mindset, man, every week I listen to these abolitionist profiles. and I mean, this is going, you know, for, for years, obviously. Every week, I just think the sooner we get in that same mindset, the sooner we will actually end slavery. These people was was completely sold out. They had just as many luxuries and conveniences of the day to believe to convince themselves that they could they could just turn the other way and it'd be okay. They had just as much going on back then as we got right now. The society has changed and there's electricity and cars and you know all this different stuff. So yeah, we feel like we got all these things or whatever, but really honestly back in that time for having nothing to having a place to a roof over your head, to have no vehicle, to maybe you got a horse or a, a wagon or something, to having nothing to eat, to having you know some kind of crops you could grow for yourself. These were basic like luxuries that people felt during the time. We doing good. We got a horse. We got some crops. We got a little piece of land. We we okay. Ain't nobody bothering us. People had as much opportunity then to turn their head and act like wasn't nothing that bad going on. Oh, I'm not going to dedicate my life to it. People had a chance to be that before they turned into slaves, Solomon Northrop. Just like people got a chance to do that today. So the sooner we accept what's going on and start actually becoming abolitionists and walking in those abolitionist footsteps and that abolitionist mindset that by any means necessary, damn it, I'm going to make a mark on this thing. I'm going to injure this system. I'm going to put a mark on it that it can't wipe away. Like with this, what we did to these prisons, we broke their bones. They can't just walk away like that didn't happen. They are injured. Most definitely, Word. most definitely. But uh, like you just said, I want to just underscore, they could have easily said, well, he ain't kin to me. 
That ain't my cousin. That ain't my son. I don't know him. Hell, hell, he should have had a job and then he wouldn't have had to go over there looking for a job and got caught up. No, no, no. Like you said, you had the Oberlin College professor, I mean, a president giving refuge. And then this guy wasn't even a victim of slavery. They were trying to make him one. He was a free black person. Okay, he was free, but they're going to kidnap him just like they did Solomon Northrop and sell him into slavery. But these people, black and white, said not on my watch. And they tracked these jokers down to another town. And I, you just heard what happened. Man, I'm giving them the, the black power salute. <laughs> well, we're at the end of our program. We've only got a minute left. So any final words? Um, my final words will simply be slavery is not going to end itself and therefore we need abolitionists to force an end to this evil institution that has been allowed to exist for far too long in slavery peace to the abolitionists peace to the abolitionists and death to these oppressors we'll be back Indeed. The next time you hear from us will be after this has occurred on September 9th, and we'll be here to report the story, because we've always known that abolition is a reason for a revolution, so we can finally know some peace. Peace. Rise up, 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 just lift your eyes up, let your wise rise up, see the signs of the times, if it's time, rise up, rise up. When death and hell dwell among all God's people, when those we chose and trusted have become completely corrupted and inherently evil, when the feast that feeds you starves our father's children, when snuff porn and pedo forms begin to get top billing, rise up. When famine claims millions, when justice gives blind eyes to billions, when the Lord anger is no longer feared if his protection is gone and your enemies are near if you've seen the seas spill over and the mountains shake break and fall if the moon ever turns blood red and you can't see the sun at all rise up no matter if the prize is high in the skies or deep deep in perdition if our leaders are globally despised and always seem to rise through attrition or blatant nepotism if women and children have to live in a Possible conditions if you have to die due to someone else's damn decisions rise up when innocent citizens perish for all our sins sake if the future seems bleak and your soul's at stake rise up when it appears that any hope left may already be lost if the price is your son or your daughter's life and you refuse to pay the cost if you ever had to ask God why and the thunder rolled if you just once had to wonder have we sold our souls rise up for the life of an unborn child when the homeless are reviled and the masses are beguiled rise up when our doctrines dictate that we all deal in debt when we stop giving more and we start caring less if the best we can do has already been done if the battle isn't won and the fighting just begun if you don't see none and know we really need one rise up rise up rise up rise up rise up 